It seems like creatives always get a bad rap. From childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests, strange superstitions, and even self-mutilation, it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits. But they've also made a pretty big impact on the world. Hi, I'm Kate Rooney. And I'm Jess Scuffy. And you're listening to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform. In this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst? Hello, and welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle. I'm Jess Guffey, and I'm joined for a very special Creatives Are the Worst After Dark episode (laughs) with Kate Rooney. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's not that special. (laughs) Well, it kind of is, because we do not record at 9 p.m. usually. We're just mixing (laughs) it up a little bit. Maybe some spooky (laughs) will happen, Kate. Who knows? Ooh. Yeah, I mean, you could say that the person that we're covering today is uh, Creatives After Dark. Oh, I don't know. Okay, so we're on mm-hmm. theme. We're on theme. I know nothing about yes. who you're covering, so this is a... I don't either, so... <laughs> we're gonna make it. <laughs> well, I'm excited, No, Kate. so I'm, I'm coming back from my vacay. I just got back from Mexico, and now Jess is leaving on her vacay. C. <laughs> also to Mexico. So we're trying to, to record all of these while we can. So we have plenty of content for you fine folks to enjoy. Yeah. But. And that includes After Dark episodes, apparently. <laughs> Maybe we'll like this, Kate. Maybe we'll continue it. Who knows? I don't think so. <laughs> but I am very excited to go over the story today because it is <laughs> bananas. It is bananas. Well. Let's do it, because I am ready. All right. All right. I don't really have a fun intro for you today. I'm sorry. But there's going to be plenty of fun to be had in the rest of this episode, because today we are covering one of the most well-known and most controversial artists of the 20th century, whose personality is just as well-known as his paintings. We are covering the fascinating and total bizarro life of Salvador Dali. Oh, you're doing it finally. I'm doing it. Was, for a second there, I thought you were going to say Andy Warhol. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, nah. but Salvador no, Dali. I wanted to go weirder than that, you know? Some bent clocks, perhaps? Uh huh. You know, I had been thinking about covering him for a while and just kind of getting tidbits here and there. And once I really dove into it, I was like, holy cow, there is so much out there. And this guy, I mean, he's like, he's such a weirdo. <laughs> Perfect. Like, he's the quintessential artist. I mean, he he basically propped up surrealism and was just such an interesting, kind of, kind of, super strange human being. And in his career, spanning over more than six decades, he created a legacy that included not just his most famous surrealist paintings, but also just sculpture, film, photography, fashion, candy, and so much more. And like I said, he's just a total weirdo, and he loved to push boundaries. Just disclaimer up front, he had a very, very complex relationship, complex, I don't know why I said that so weird, 
complex. probably because it's 9 p.m. right now. <laughs> a complex. He had a complex relationship with sexuality. And hmm. that can be seen in most of his prominent artwork. It, that all, the, Yeah, if you look up his art, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's okay. We're doing that. Uh, yeah. And we could have done a whole, yeah, we, we could have done a whole episode on that alone. But it's not very on brand for Design Pickles. And <laughs> this whole episode would have been bleeped out. So <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Love that. For we're going to pass on that. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're just going to look at his fascinating life and how he cultivated his creativity. Because he is considered the master of surrealism although jess he was eventually shunned from that group oh, later in his career but we'll, we'll touch on that mm-hmm. i'm really excited because we haven't done an artist in a really long time like a traditional artist since maybe van yeah. gogh so we were due this is perfect we we were due for sure and by the way i'm not going to go into the whole uh, history of surrealism but all you need to know is it's a 20th century avant-garde movement in art literature thought and these people were seeking to release your creative potential through the unconscious mind Ah. drawing a lot of inspiration from freud and including a lot of irrational juxtaposition of objects and images together so yeah, perfect. That's all I'm going to give you for that. Love it. And per usual, this is all just our opinion and our research. And not only was this pretty tough because he's not only just a historical figure with a there's a ton of information out there, so much, but it's also really difficult to separate fact from fiction with Dali because he loved to quote unquote cultivate confusion and even propagated a lot of lies about himself. Sounds like Madonna. Right? Yeah. We're going to see a lot of parallels with other folks we've covered here. In in doing the research, I started watching this documentary about him on YouTube, and it was called The Fame and Shame of Salvador Dali. And it's like, <laughs> it's one of those films that your hungover substitute teacher puts on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they reel out the, the TV and they're like, we're going to watch a film. Yep. So it was like super kind of boring at first, but then they start talking about his life and it's not boring anymore because he's just bananas, bizarro dude. Also, another disclaimer, I watched so many pronunciation videos of his name and I swear that they were all different. So I might say it differently each time, but bear with me. Sure. We're going to go with that. Can we call him Dilly Dilly? Salvador Dilly Dilly? that's good. Salvador Dilly Dilly. No? Too Ew. much? Too far? Okay. It's perfect. So Salvador Dilly Dilly was born on <laughs> May 11th, 1904 in the beautiful town of Figueras in Catalonia, Spain. Oh, that's another thing. This is all in Spain, so I'm definitely going to butcher a lot of words here. I'm here for it. All right. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> Now, I said we were going to, we were touching back on like a lot of previous episodes we've done, but you may or may not recall, Jess, that our friend Vince, Vincent Van Gogh, his parents had a son before him also named Vincent who died. Does that br- ring any bells for you? It sure does. It sure okay. does. Okay. Great. Because it turns out the same exact thing happened to Dolly. Dolly. Wow. Dilly Dilly. <laughs> was his name also Salvador? No, it was Dilly Dilly. No, yes, it was it was Salvador. So he had what? an older brother also named Salvador who died shortly right before our 
Salvador was born. And this would end up kind of like haunting him for the rest of his life. I'm sorry. I just feel like I have to say it. If your kid dies, it's horrible. You probably shouldn't name your next kid that kid's name. It just seems like common sense to me. Probs not. Yeah, I don't know if that was like a thing back in the days, but it's super creepy. Like, that's really creepy. You're setting them up to be just little weirdos at that point. Well, and it worked. Maybe that's what they wanted to do and mission accomplished because he believed that he was a reincarnation of his dead brother. So there it is. Yikes. And this would be apparent in his artwork, including the aptly named Portrait of My Dead Brother. So, oh, sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that. That's nervous laughter, but it's like, <laughs> mm, okay, that, that wasn't nervous laughter. That was real laughter. It's just, I know it's just going to get weirder because uh, he also had a younger sister. She did not die. Don't worry, but her name was Anna Maria and she appeared as a model in a lot of his early work, but she also had a really kind of weird relationship with him. It's been said over and over again that she was in love with him her brother but like also borderline obsessive in love with him and this really was displayed when you know as he grew as an artist and he replaced her as a model she was pissed she was not happy about it like a jealous girlfriend kind of i was gonna ask if this is actually you're just reading me the plot of game of thrones or (laughs) if this is about we have some like borderline incest going on we have some like possible reincarnation Uh uh-huh okay magic maybe some dragons appear later in his life no they don't at this point i wouldn't be surprised (laughs) this weirder stuff happens so yeah it was weird and it, it their relationship gets weirder as we go but oh, yeah God. she she was pissed when she, uh, she was replaced in his artwork and his father was a lawyer kind of pretty established but he was also very strict he was a strict disciplinarian very authoritative in that documentary i watched there was footage of him from the 1930s which is so cool to see i love old-timey movies and his dad basically looks like danny devito but with white hair <laughs> That's Danny DeVito, my interpretation. I love your work. <laughs> Made that movie. Mean Girls. Nailed it. Thank you. His mother, on the other hand, was a much kinder, gentler woman. She very much encouraged his artistic endeavors. But sadly, she passed away from cancer when he was just 16. Oh, boy. Which was. Yeah, it was very traumatic for him. He basically worshipped his mom. And that's so awful. And to add insult to injury, his father married her sister, Dolly's aunt, afterwards. No. So. No. Spoiler alert. Like, this... uh, Dolly is a very complicated figure, and we're, we're going to get to that at the end. But like, you can see these building blocks of like, oh boy. But also on the flip side, he had a pretty good childhood outside of all of this, outside of his mother dying and then his father marrying her sister. But uh, and unsurprisingly, he was a very intelligent child growing up, and he showed artistic ability very early on. But he also, unsurprisingly, he hated school. <laughs> 
Wow, we've Shocker. never seen that before. It's so yeah, weird. Yeah, we've seen that in... We, we should do like a breakdown of how many of the creatives we cover hated school. We'll post <laughs> a graph on social. <laughs> yeah. Pie chart. He, he hated being confined into a classroom and he would just spend his time daydreaming instead of studying, which like, same, I get it. And allegedly he would have just like these random, hysterical, rage-filled outbursts towards his family and his friends as a kid. That's unsettling. Again, this is kind of like, it's hard to tell what's truthful, because I think he said a lot about this in his autobiography, which was, we'll touch on later, is a lot of fact and fiction. But it's it's been said in a lot of articles, he would have these like crazy outbursts. And he also claimed that he bit the head off a bat when he was five. Did he get rabies? No. (laughs) As far as we know, maybe that's what was causing his outbursts. Maybe. maybe well, it's crazy you mentioned that because he was afraid of water. No, I'm just kidding. That's not he true. He up the mouth a lot, but no one really knew why. <laughs> but we just diagnosed him. <laughs> that's it. Episode's over. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, though, he had a decent childhood. They were middle class. They had a very nice home in Spain. And as a child, they would spend all of their summers in this wonderful seaside village of Caracas. I'm definitely saying that, that wrong. That sounded really good. Caracas. And he loved this town. Loved it. He had, like, fanatical intensity loving this place. And the landscape around him there influenced a lot of his artwork and how he viewed the world. Because this town in particular, it's on the sea, and it has a, just had a ton of like beautiful light and colors and in this town there was this beach that he was enamored with and it had these crazy craggy rocks from the waves hitting it and for like forming these i don't know jet jetting out rocks and everything and he yeah he became obsessed with it because basically the way the the light would play on the shadows and everything it would always create unique shapes at any moment of the day and that changing light would just create a constant metamorphosis uh in in shadows and everything on those rocks because they were formed all weird and jutting out and everything that's really cool many yeah many of his his famous images are derived from studying the scene he would sit there and look at it and watch it as the sun went down and it moved the shadows around so even in a lot of his famous paintings you see like the faces and the shapes in his artwork uh it's basically pulled from a rock that he studied in caracas caracas nature inspires artists so much i just think it's really cool Mm-hmm. That's not really. And I didn't know that about him, thought, but like, <laughs> I think like, it's really cool. It's really cool. Well, I just think it's interesting how people can draw inspiration from anything. Some people it is from nature. Some people it's from sewage. I don't know why that just popped into my head. <laughs> <laughs> Their but, sister that might be in love with them, but, or your sister, you know. or your dog who won't stop barking when you're trying to record a podcast. Any There's inspiration everywhere. Life is beautiful. <laughs> I will note to the audience that uh, Kate rolled her eyes when she said that. So. In case you didn't catch the sarcasm. <laughs> oh, no, that was, that was, I love it when he does that. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said before, he started drawing when he was very young. And even then his drawings were very advanced. 
And so in the apartment that his family lived in, he found an abandoned washroom, which I assume is just like a bathroom. I don't really know. And that became his first studio. Oh. So there was an actual like bathtub in there. So he'd fill up the bathtub and sit in there and just draw. So this all sounds cute and everything, but oh boy, <laughs> there's a quote from him that says that he was aware he was in the process of playing at being a genius. Oh, okay. Excuse us, Salvador. Which, like, he's not wrong in a way, but like... Ugh. It's the narcissism okay. for me. Yeah. And a lot of this, again, is embellished. So at age 18, he heads off to college, you know, as you do, uh, over in Madrid. So he goes to the San Fernando Academy of Art. And there he falls in with a group of other eccentric creatives. Of course, he found his people. This one does. And that includes Louis Buñuel, uh, who's a filmmaker, and also poet Federico Garcia Lorca, who apparently i i studied him a lot in college and i didn't know that he was also madly in love with dolly all these people just falling in love with him oh, left and right okay he's got quite and, a fan club going mm-hmm. here and all of these creative folks they would end up collaborating together as we'll see and perhaps it was the surroundings or just being in college or just being with other creatives but this is where his eccentric flamboyant personality really began to take shape so he started to grow his hair long he wore a beret no he did and uh one day a friend walked in on uh, into his dorm room to find drawings just completely covering everything like his floor and walls everywhere which i just surprised no can you imagine that though you walk into your friend's room and you're like oh are you okay? Bro, are you uh you good? You want to take a break? And he just <laughs> want to like, eat something? Takes his beret off and he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I just had to I... look up a photo of him really quick just to like make sure that I was picturing oh, yeah. him correctly. So, soak it all in. The uh, mustache. Whatever. Interesting choice. The mustache is very important for him. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm getting I the found... full picture now. Mm-hmm. I found this very interesting. So his one of his college friends, actually the same one who walked in to see all this craziness, he said that his exhibitionist side, Dolly's exhibitionist side, was more of a reaction to his timidness. Because it turns out he was actually just pathologically shy. He was super shy. And all of his flamboyance and his provocative image was more of a result of his struggle against his shyness. He's kind of sounding like Prince a little bit to me. Yeah. could see that. I have nothing to add to that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, clearly I don't either. (laughs) No thoughts to build on that. It just sounds like Prince to me. Well, there is something about shy creatives, in which there's plenty of them, Mm -hmm. and that... introvertedness but then you're creating art that everyone's going to see and but it turns i don't know if it's the same with prince but dolly really just wanted to shock people constantly that was always his goal so while he's at college with all of his creative friends he explores a ton of different styles and techniques here and even began showing some of his artwork in galleries in barcelona and madrid Gaining some momentum here, some success, but he felt really unchallenged by his professors at college. Oh, you know? boy. Mm-hmm. 
So much so that during an oral exam in art history, he announced, I am infinitely more intelligent than these three professors, and I therefore refuse to be examined by them. Oh, okay. I want to do that. I wish I would have done that in college. Well, it's a good thing you didn't, because he was then promptly expelled and just (laughs) abruptly ended his formal education, so... It sounds like for him, that was probably the best move. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And Jess, what do you do when you get expelled from college? You go to Paris. You know? I mean, I wish I would have done that now. (laughs) If that's the path, (laughs) then... Huge mistake. Yeah. So, in 1926, he makes his first trip to Paris, and he meets Pablo Picasso there. hey oh. He was a huge fan of Pablo. He revered him and his all of the imagery, his symbolic imagery he had in his paintings. And this is also where he began to study Freud very, very intensely. Because Freud's all about the subconscious and dreams and everything. And because of this... Dolly started painting his own dreams, and this would become a huge thing in surrealism. So interesting. Yeah. So while he's in Paris, he works with his his good old pal Louis Binuel, his friend from college, on a sixteen minute silent film called Un Chien Andalou. And that something. You know, oh, that's right. You've been doing French uh, oh, Duolingo. I'm so happy I got something. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. It's been working. Thank you so much. The little pesky the dog owl. something. <laughs> yes. That... <laughs> what does it I'm actually so impressed. mean? Well, it, you're right. It means an Andalusian dog, but it, hmm. the the title is not even like relevant to anything at all. Oh. And this movie is effed up. It Great. Is, <laughs> oh man. Okay, so there's no plot whatsoever. It's 16 minutes, so I watched most of it at two times speed, which is even more of a nightmare. Oh. Uh, but because there's no plot, it just jumps around to different bizarre scenes just like a dream or like a fever dream or like a horrible nightmare that you want to escape from i guess sort of trigger alert is kind of gross but it opens with a woman's eyeball being sliced open with a razor oh so that's very casual if i was making a silent film that would be the first scene for me too 100 percent there's also a severed hand, a bunch of dead donkeys, and no, a swarm of ants. Not it's the donkeys. Just, mm, yeah. Why? They, these two weirdos. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm saying that like we're, I'm a weirdo too. It's fine. But these guys, uh, Bunuel and Dolly, they they wanted it to cause confusion. They wanted it to be confusing and mysterious and totally illogical, just like a dream. So they wanted people <laughs> to lose sleep after they watched it. <laughs> Uh-huh. Perfect. Uh, they were basically the first edgelords <laughs> of, the, of our time. Great. Because they wanted to make a movie literally just to offend as many people as possible. And they would even, they spent a week together just spouting out random ideas and images, just trying to outdo one another with their weird, the weirdness. And at the premiere, uh, Brunuel, I'm probably saying his name incorrectly every single time, too. He had a pocket full of rocks ready to throw at the audience in case they reacted violently. Okay, so my eyes prepared. are going to pop out of my head right now. <laughs> rocks? 
Was she just afraid that people were going to just, you know, cause a scene because they were so angry about how awful and disturbing this film was? They kind of brought it on themselves, but also, did he just go to the park and he was like, okay, one, Mm -hmm. two, how many rocks do you guys think I need? Okay, like 20? Okay, cool. (laughs) Yep, however many fits into his pockets. (laughs) It's so weird. Believe it or not, this film has influenced a ton of modern day content, including advertising, music videos, punk music, horror movies. Uh, it definitely influenced David Lynch and Alfred Hitchcock. Oh boy. So it's kind of crazy because they wanted to cause a stir and create a reaction. It was like, yeah, they were looking for a negative reaction. But it kind of had the opposite effect. It elevated the two of them to fame all throughout Europe. And particularly with the surrealists, uh, that group, there was a group of surrealist artists and uh, authors and everything. So they took notice. And Andre Breton, who was a poet and founder of the surrealism movement, invited them to join their ranks. So he's like, you guys made this dope ass movie. It's super messed up come hang out with us and be weird with us. Was it like an official club that they had going on it here? It kind of was. So we'll that's kind of what that. it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. It's not just like an art style. It's like uh-huh. a club. Like a it society. was like a collective. It was definitely a society. They had, I wouldn't say rules, but um, they were very particular about who could join and who could not. Sounds snobby. Mm-hmm. And at the time, surrealism was kind of dying out in a way, but it was Dolly who resurrected it. He was the one who revived it and made it popular again. But he was very much inspired by Breton's theories, and this prompted Dolly to explore new ways to use his unconscious to tap into creativity. And through this, he developed what is called the paranoic creative method, and I read so many articles about this, and it is far too complicated to get into, but basically all you need to know is that it's inducing a state of paranoia without drugs to create dream photographs. So you're trying to access the subconscious to, I don't know, to see things in a unique way. I basically just call this anxiety. I don't know. So you're purposely trying to make yourself paranoid. That sounds horrible. Uh Uh-huh. But in doing so, you see double images everywhere. It, like I said, it's very complicated. I, it's, there's no simple explanation of it. It's just inducing paranoia, kind of, and to create these images that are like dreams, where they're not super clear, but then you can make them clear through your art. Hmm. Uh, I would like to point out that there is a very famous quote by Dolly that says, I don't do drugs. I am drugs. So, Oh, my God. His quotes are insufferable. <laughs> I know. Get so basically, together, he, would, bro. He, would, he would induce this state. It was like he'd go into like a meditative state and think of all these like crazy things, and then he would just paint what he would see. So kind of like trying to paint a, a dream where it's like doesn't it's not quite there. You can't really grasp it, but you're trying to recreate what you've seen. It's wild. Yeah, it is wild. And he would use this method to create some of his most famous paintings, including The Persistence of Memory, which is the one with the melting watches that you touched on before. And also this one, which I just love the title, 
soft construction with boiled beans. <laughs> oh my Premonition God. of Civil War. Are we sure there were no drugs involved? <laughs> That's my only question. I, yeah, I don't know. I, hmm. pff, no, but maybe. <laughs> Who are we to say? I don't know. It's He, he says no, but uh, some of his artwork, it's like, dude, <laughs> how? You weren't. <laughs> and why? <laughs> and why for? But. Regardless, at this time, his reputation was definitely growing, and as was his mustache, like we said before, which was his signature trademark. He grew this very long, upturned mustache, so it did not hang down. It went up. <laughs> also, another like callback. <laughs> <laughs> when he was uh, twisting his mustache, he would go <laughs> up. <laughs> So another callback to another episode, when he was in Paris, our good friend Coco Chanel was already a famous fashion designer there, mm. and they eventually met through their just creative circles, all those creatives hanging out, and they forged a very dynamic friendship, the two of them. Now, it's been reported that they also had a romantic relationship too. cannot confirm or deny, I don't know. She dated Picasso too. Weird. Mm, I mean, it was kind of like a free for all. I think it was. I think they it was just France. Like, yeah. Just you no. Know, <laughs> like, the French. Enough said. Yeah, but they collabed on a bunch of fashion projects together and worked on like grandiose theater costumes. So cool. Fun fact. Hmm. Now, in 1929, Dali meets his future wife and muse, Gala Eluard. The only problem was she was already married to another surrealist uh, poet uh, named Paul Edouard. But they were French, so, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, they actually all ended up, like, living in an apartment together, so he was cool with it, just doing what they do. (laughs) But according to many sources, it was absolute love at first sight. They were just... And immediately enamored with one another. And Gala's a very fascinating figure. She's a very mysterious woman, but it's been said that she was able to recognize artistic and creative genius when she saw it. So you mentioned Picasso and everything, but she had relationships with a bunch of different intellectuals and artists at the time. But yeah, she could see creative genius in someone somehow. Yeah. But it's also been said that she, like, made Dolly. Like, he w- we wouldn't have the same Dolly that we have without her. She was the one who really convinced him that he was gifted at art because he thought he was just kind of mediocre at the time, despite all the statements he said. <laughs> well, I don't Sounds know. Sounds like his ego really needed more boosting. So mm-hmm. thank God she came along. <laughs> and allegedly, Dolly had a very... He had a phobia of, um, I'll just say, the female form. And... Gala was the first and only woman he ever had relations with. That's the most... This okay. is... Uh, creatives are the worst after dark, but that's like the most risky I'm going to get there. You, you're seeing what I'm saying. Yeah. So in his artwork is, is very overtly sexual, like I said at the top of the episode, but he was also like afraid of sex and there was a lot of shame tied to it. That's in his art as well. But apparently oh. with, with Gala, she just opened a whole new world to him. 
So they were very intertwined. She was kind of like his manager in a sense. And so much so that even in the 1930s, he started signing his paintings with both of their names. Oh my God. And later in life in 1968, he bought her a freaking castle in Spain. Oh, I'm sorry. And Jess, he agreed that he would not visit the castle unless he had explicit written permission from her in advance. (laughs) What is this relationship? I'm so confused. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But they were together for the rest of their lives. So it was was very much like kind of an open marriage, but they were intertwined in a very complicated way. And he, she was his muse. So he drew a lot of inspiration from her and he was like her star and sunlight and everything. And all that fun stuff. We'll come back to that later. But for now, let's take a quick break. Hey, Jess, what do you call a pickle sale? I don't know. What do you? A sweet dill. (laughs) Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, that joke might be the worst. But you know what's not the worst? Design Pickle. That's right. Design Pickle is the world's leading flat rate creative services platform, offering so many features. I could go on and on, but some of my favorites are unlimited requests, unlimited revisions, Adobe source files, brand profiles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And on top of all those great features, there's also a 30 day satisfaction guarantee. So all new users can sign up, try it for a month and see if it's a good fit for you or your business. And extra bonus, if you're a listener of this podcast, sign up using the code WORST and get $100 off your first month of any of our plans. That's right. That's code WORST, W-O-R-S-T, all caps, and get $100 off any plan for your first month. That's a pretty sweet deal indeed. And we're back. So things seem all great and dandy and whatnot, but Dolly was really starting to piss people off in Europe. At this point. Shocker. Mm-hmm. I mean, if your goal is kind of to shock people, then what do you what do you expect? But this included not just his family, but also other members of the Surrealist group. Hmm. Oh, the society's coming for him now. It's never a good uh-huh. sign. Yep. So he has a falling out with his father, who already wasn't a very happy man, and he had disproved of his marriage to Gala and all of his wacky surrealist friends. He's like, yeah, but the final straw was when he exhibited a painting that had an inscription saying, sometimes I spit for fun on my mother's portrait. What? Yeah. He loved his mom. He did, but he's trying to go for shock and awe and it, affected the family so his father ends up throwing him out of his home and just kicked him out i mean like he had been he moved out but he's like you're no longer welcomed here i disown you and so on top of all of that going on with his family things were getting really tense in europe at the time with the rise of fascism because we're you know in the 1930s here and this caused Dolly to clash with other members of the surrealism movement because he was the only one who just wasn't denouncing it. So he wasn't like super outspoken, like he wasn't supporting it, but he just wasn't denouncing it. And his his indifference to politics was upsetting the other surrealists because they were so enraged by what was going on. Now, I am saying that he was he's he he's pretty much apolitical. Uh, and he's not, doesn't seem like he's, you know, a follower of Hitler or all of that jazz. But 
He did have a bizarre obsession with Hitler. Oh, no. Yeah. I didn't even include this in my notes. This is just pulling from my brain right now. But he had, there were some like very provocative quotes he said about him. And then he did have like paintings about him. But it was, to me, it's kind of like he had a fascination with him, but not because he admired him, but more of like what was going on in the world. But that's just my two cents. I don't know. And because he's trying to get people upset. I don't know. The optics are poor. I'll say that. Not great. Yeah. Uh, But also on top of that, all of his self-promotion and his, he's kind of self-important. It was starting to increase the tension with the surrealist group. And he was kind of obsessed with money. He just always wanted to find new ways to make more money. And so the group nicknamed him Avita Dollars, <laughs> which is an anagram of Salvador Dali. Wow. Fun fact. Wow. That's so like just. such uh, a creative circle thing to do. Like, we're going to burn you so hard, but like, it's going to be cool in an anagram because we're. Avita <laughs> money. Yeah. Well, that's clever. <laughs> so you mentioned before, it's like, what? They're like a secret society or something? Yeah, kind of, because in 1939, he was officially expelled from the Surrealist movement, and they literally held a trial (laughs) and kicked him out. Instead of a gavel, did they have their paintbrushes? (laughs) Tink, tink, tink. (laughs) Not very effective. Listen up. (laughs) But then it didn't make noise. No? We're going to erase you (laughs) from art. Hey, get it? (laughs) Like a pencil? I love it. <sighs> to this, Dolly just declares, I myself am surrealism. And oh. then just continue to pursue antics just to attract attention and sell art. So, <laughs> this whole episode, I've been trying to figure out the psychoanalysis of him. It's impossible. I can't. It's impossible. Well, this, this is like, we're trying to cram all of this into a short episode, and this could be like a multi-parter, I swear, because his life is so multifaceted, we're just barely scraping the surface. And like I said before, it's a lot of it, it's hard to find the truth, because he made a lot of statements that weren't true. Because he is surrealism, obviously. Mm, exa- wow. Bringing it home. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> So after all of this backlash between being kicked out of the group with their little paintbrush gavels and his family <laughs> kicking him out, Dolly and Gala escape to New York. So they just go to America. And at this point, he's already pretty well known in America because he was successful in Europe. And the American audience was ready for his crazy uh, publicity stunts and antics. So, for example, uh, when he first went there, he was invited to design a pavilion at the 1938 World's Fair in New York. And he proposed that they just have exploding giraffes, but like actual giraffes that explode. Listen, he came for the donkeys, now the giraffes. Mm. I'm not a fan of this. Not a fan. No. Well, that idea was next, obviously, but instead he created Dream of Venus, which was a surrealist interpretation of like a carnival funhouse, but it had Botticelli's Venus in it. And it's actually really cool. It's an awesome display. It's very interesting. And especially because it, it challenged this 
the the just standard conventions of art and it was kind of mocking the art world by combining this crude imagery of, of you know a naked woman but then also with classic renaissance art uh and with this i mean he would just continue to stir scandals all across america he he lived both in new york and in california so he would just go coast to coast and causing mayhem <laughs> just with light fires everywhere and then go to the other coast he let one <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he one, was. Guys. I'm gonna go back to New York now. <laughs> I'm gonna twirl my mustache and get out of here. He was all about causing a scene. He was a prankster and even a little bit of a, a little smidge of a con man. And but like we just said, with the, this could be ten episodes, but I'm just gonna give you a little teaser, a little sampler, if you will, of some of his antics. So. He, uh, one time, he and Gallo went to a masquerade ball in New York City, and they dressed as the Lindbergh baby and his kidnapper. I, yeah. Uh, one time, he arrived at a speech in a Rolls Royce full of cauliflower and just started randomly handing it out to confused passerby on the street. That's what? not too bad, you know? It's just weird. It's just like, why? But, like, why cauliflower? <laughs> he was just fascinated by the shapes. Which goes back to those craggy rocks on his favorite beach. He just loved unique shapes and the shadows and the light that it would cast on itself. And I'm going to look at cauliflower in a whole new way now. You're just going to stare at them. Yeah. Be inspired. Cauliflower art. It's beautiful. (laughs) What a time to be alive. Mm -hmm. And nutritious, too. So at one point, he was contacted by Yoko Ono. And she requested a strand of hair from his mustache, you know, because she's also a fun artist. And in return, Dolly demanded $10,000 for a single hair from his mustache. I'm not even going to ask the questions that I have because, I no. <laughs> well, Continue. let me answer one that you may have. She bought it. She coughed up the $10,000. But you know what Dolly did? He did not send her a strand of hair from his mustache. Instead, he sent her a dried blade of grass. <laughs> because he was afraid that Yoko might use his hair for witchcraft. So That's smart. the natural conclusion. <laughs> yeah. Good, good thing he was thinking ahead. Gotta make a quick buck there. Really protected himself. Good thing. <laughs> in order to, to sell his book, he, he set up a scene in a hospital bed in a bookstore in manhattan he's sitting in this hospital bed surrounded himself with a bunch of fake doctors and nurses and had himself hooked up machines and everything measuring his vitals and his his brain waves and then anyone who bought the book would also get a copy of his machine readings so like his his brain scan so speaking of the book in 1942, he publishes this autobiography called The Secret Life of Salvador Dali. The opening sentence of this book it no, says... No, no, no. <laughs> well, it's actually not that bad. It's okay. not that bad compared to the other quotes. At, at the age of six, I wanted to be a cook. At seven, I wanted to be Napoleon. And my ambition has been growing steadily since. Oh, okay. That was way yeah. better than I expected. I know. I kind of set you up for that. Well, but this I mean, book, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> no, no. 
And this book is just a, it's a web of fact and fiction, just a bunch of fictionalized stories from his life. But it's like he wanted people to believe that they were true. But this is the story where like he bit the head off the bat. So maybe, but we don't know. So another callback while he's in the States, he worked with Disney. They did a collab oh together. God, all these people. This is like uh-huh. our most intertwined episode yet. I maybe. know, which I was not expecting. And no. I found that, that alone to be super fascinating because yes, he is this super quintessential creative. And there is like five degrees of separation with Dali to all the other creatives. Please don't so, tell me he ever drew like Disney characters surrealist way. No, okay. but you know who he did work with very closely is our good pal John Hench. I knew you were going to say was, that. Mm-hmm. Dang, okay. He was an animator. What was he? You, he you was know an Imagineer. There we go. He was an Imagineer. Imagineer. <laughs> so he worked with Imagineer John Hench to create this an- animated film called Destino. Destino. I don't know how to say it. But Dolly created 22 oil paintings and just a ton of drawings that Hench would turn into film storyboards. Sadly, they stopped. Yeah, they they stopped production just due to financial reasons. And the film was left unfinished with only 15 seconds of demo reel completed. But in 1999, Walt's nephew, Roy Disney, decided to revive the production. And they ended up releasing a six-minute short in 2003, uh, called Destino. Destino. I feel like I've heard that name before, and that makes sense if they released it as a short. I'm sure it was before one of the movies that they aired yeah. for the first time. Interesting. So you can go ahead and watch that now. And this tells the story of a ballerina on a surreal journey through the desert. So that sounds fun. That sounds dark. <laughs> it does sound pretty dark for Disney, but Disney can get pretty dark sometimes. Disney know. is dark. We could do a whole episode yeah. on that. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds fun. So despite being one of the most widely appreciated artists at the time, many critics and many of his fellow artists dismissed his later work, calling him basically a sellout. They considered him to be overly kitschy and commercial, and they viewed him more as a pop culture personality than a serious artist, which is just bananas because he like created this whole revolution in Europe and in Spain and France and became like the most prominent surrealist artist. But then by the time he got to America, they were like, eh, you're a sellout, you're a chump. But to be fair, he was doing a lot of commercial projects at the time. So I mean, as you many- said he was motivated by money, so... Oh, that's 100%. I mean, he was, uh, what was the name? Avita Dollars. So... Exactly. And that, I mean, that was kind of one of the many reasons why his fellow artists just shunned him at this point was because he was more commercial and they, you know, they were the artiste. We don't care about uh, money. Mm-hmm. So as many people know, he redesigned the Chupa Chups uh, design on the, the suckers, those little lollipops. He was also in an Alka-Seltzer commercial. So why not? <laughs> But general consensus is, which I think is kind of sad, but also he's so rich, who cares, uh, that everything he painted after he was 40 was just worthless. Wow. That uh-huh. would be so hard to deal with as an artist, but also I'm still stuck on the Alka-Seltzer thing because Alka-Seltzer gives you wild dreams, and I wonder if that's why he wanted to do it. <laughs> Wait, really? I didn't like, know that? Gives, yeah, like I... 
I know a lot of people, I get them really weird if I take Alka-Seltzer, like really, really bizarre dreams from it. What? Um, and it's one of the active ingredients in it. I can't think of the name, but it can like affect people in different ways. So I'm just wondering Maybe if that's, that's why he why. did it. <laughs> well, now I want to do a deep dive on that. Shoot. Yeah. Well, that's our own story. And we'll, <laughs> we're just going to go with that. That makes more sense. <laughs> So in 1948, Dali and Gala moved back to Spain, nearby where he grew up in that idyllic little seaside town. But uh, things were, were not great at, at this point, moving forward, pretty much. So his decision to move back to Spain just prompted major outrage with all the other artists. They were not happy he was back. And Picasso... So remember at the beginning when we said Dali looked up to Picasso, he revered him. He was such a huge fan. Picasso refused to mention Dolly's name or acknowledge his, his existence for the rest of his life. Okay, I just Ouch. Ev- every time you're mentioning these artists that shunned him, I just picture them walking around with like their noses <laughs> up in the air, and, like pish posh, yeah. like meh, 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 meh. it just sounds so catty and petty of them. There are so many conflicting feelings in this episode, I feel like, because Dolly is a hot mess, but then the group that he affiliated with i mean they're also i mean yeah so on on top of that his sister who was in love with him and then angry that he moved on she published a not so nice book about him that came out always with the family members man Uh uh-huh uh-huh i think she was a little salty and then when his his father died Dolly basically learns that he was just like in- disinherited from his will. So really Great. cut out. And even his marriage to his wonderful muse, Gala, was strained. So remember that castle he bought her way back? That whole thing, it seems all like oh, great, she has this castle and they have a wonderful marriage and whatever. But it actually sent him into a super depressive spiral because he was just afraid that she was going to abandon him. So it all just, it's kind of tragic. He he yeah. rose to fame and he wrote it out. He was super wealthy, but by the time, near the end of his life, it's just things were not so great. She eventually passes away in 1982 at age 87. Dang. Wow. Uh, and yeah i mean his his depression just worsened after that he was refusing food and eventually he he dies of heart failure in 1989 which when i read that i was like holy cow that was way later than I remember. yeah what the hell <laughs> yeah all the way to 89 so he was 85 when he died i'm not doing the math i'm not in the math department well, he was 85. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dang, that's like, that's a long, he had a long life. Yeah. yeah. So it's not to say all of it was awful in that time. I mean, he was still creating art and doing exhibitions and everything like that. Uh, and he continued it all the way until the end. He even insisted that he would be buried in his own museum. And he is, and it's it's spectacle. I actually really want to, want to go visit because it, this whole museum is just like a beautiful architecture surrealism thing. I don't oh, even know that was horrible, it. and it's kind of like a symbol of how the art and the man are inseparable. Like he wanted to be remembered forever, and 
live infinitely with his art. So, of course, he's he's remembered for his super eccentric persona, his mustache, also his creative output because he he creates so much art. Uh, and like I said before, it wasn't just paintings. It was across all these different mediums and always with just these super bizarre but also striking images. And on top of that, everything was created with just incredibly precise technical skill that is rarely seen. And it completely revolutionized the art world. So that alone paved the way for generations of artists to come. But also what I found super interesting is that it wasn't just like the techniques and everything too. He also paved the way for artists to think of themselves as their own brand. Oh, because he, yeah, that's really interesting. He was the first one. It was like everything with like the, the mustache and the clothes he wore and everything. Yeah. And his obviously eccentric personality, he became known as Dolly. Like, you know, that name beyond just the artwork and that paved the way for people like Yoko Ono and Andy Warhol, they have their their brand image and everything out in the world. What's interesting about him is he's one of the few artists I can think of that was actually super successful in his lifetime. Like one mm-hmm. of the household name artists. Yeah. Because we know our but boy then Van Gogh he wasn't. was not. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's weird because like, he still was. He was still, later in life, he was still very widely known uh, and... It was just like that art group uh, in in Europe. They were the ones who shunned him. But then he was still very prominent in the States and making a ton of art there. So And money. And money. And just breaking breaking conventions left and right. I mean, his art still continues to shock people. I was shocked as I was looking through it while, while researching this. And he's just like utterly, absolutely outrageous. It's It's been said that his antics have often kind of obscured his own genius. Hmm. So it's kind of like, but was he a genius or a madman? You can well, say he will that, answer that for, <laughs> He will answer that for you because another, I'll, I will leave you with this last quote from him. The only difference between me and a madman is that I am not mad. Wow. And with that, Jess, I have to ask you, is Salvador Dali the worst this one's hard kate i don't know i know (laughs) i i feel like wow i am genuinely speechless about him Uh uh-huh he is a well uh, yeah and i almost feel like it isn't fair to even say at the end because there's so much more we didn't even get to cover i was just gonna say it might be the first time i ever say I have to withhold my answer until I I learn more. Ooh, I feel like okay. I cannot judge him fairly at this point, knowing that there's so much other stuff out there. Uh-huh. And you know what? Me neither. So, that being said, we want everyone listening to this episode to, to reach out to us either at podcast.designpickle.com or on social media yep. at Creatives Are the Worst or Worst Creatives on Twitter. And tell us what you think, because like I... 100% felt the same way, Jess. I could not, I did not have a final conclusion at the end of this. He's so complicated. Yes. And I want to not like him for some reason, but then uh, his heart is just, Wild. I'm so fascinated by how uh, his process that started when he was so young and studying the, the light on the rocks and everything, like his mind Agreed. went places that 
most people can't go to. And he really uh, did and he bought his wife a ca- Yeah. Yeah. And he bought his wife a castle. So, I, I mean, say no more. <laughs> I think that gives us our answer. No. But there are also some, some other really bad things that we have not been able to even touch on today. So... That is our one request to all of you lovely folks. And my dog is also asking, if you cannot hear him. <laughs> He's begging, Let us know really. what you think. And maybe, I think we might have to come back to him um, and maybe just, maybe it is a mini episode and just focus on one aspect of his art. But you know what? We, we fancy ourselves uh, detectives. I think we can get to the bottom of it one way or the other. I think we can too. I just I feel as though we don't have enough evidence right now, Kate. If we're going to speak in detective terms, I don't have enough evidence. Mm. I cannot make a proper judgment, and you know what? We're going to have to we're going to have to keep investigating this one until we can feel confident about our resolution. Fair enough. Well, let us know what you think, and be sure to give us a, a review, a rating, a follow us if you're not, all that fun stuff, and. Let's all wish Jess a wonderful vacation. <laughs> well, by the time this airs, I will be back and depressed with the post-vacation blues. So, great. <laughs> nah. We'll, we'll miss you. That was fun, Kate. Thank you for bringing us on that wild ride. I'm going to go twist my mustache. And we'll see y'all later. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Creatives Are the Worst. If you like what you're hearing, or if you think that we're the worst, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com. And a big thanks to Design Pickle for sponsoring the show. Join us next week as we once again try to answer the question, are creatives the worst? <laughs>